Hello everyone and welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi. It's more like Treks in Fantasy for this week uh, for podcast, our videocast 219 for March the 22nd, 2009. This is Rico and I'm going to look at uh, today uh, one of my all-time favorite movies, uh, something that I've loved uh, ever since I saw it when I was growing up. And every time I still see it, it just uh, it amazes me and fills me with, uh, you know, kind of a little kid inside even more than normal. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Wizard of Oz, The Wizard of Oz from 1939. And I'll also talk about uh, the author of the Oz books, L. Frank Baum. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about his history and background on today's podcast. So, it's going to be uh, a little different. Uh, I'm not going to talk really Trek at all. I've got a lot to cover, uh, covering uh, L. Frank Baum and The Wizard of Oz, the movie, uh, the legend. Uh, try to do a lot of uh, little trivia and behind-the-scenes things and things you may not know of about the movie and the whole Oz legend and everything like that. So uh, sit back and relax and enjoy the podcast or videocast. Lyman Frank Baum, or L. Frank Baum, as he was better known as the author of all the Oz books, was born on May 15, 1856 in New York. He started writing at a very early age and uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, as a teenager, you know, around 15, 16, he started to print out pamphlets on a cheap printing press that his father purchased for him. He eventually went on to be a reporter and a writer and uh, even started his own newspaper in the early 1890s, which actually failed. And uh, L. Frank uh, found, you know, both success and failure, failure throughout his whole life and career. But he never really had more success than when in 1900 he published the first of the Oz books, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. This was illustrated by a guy named W.W. Denslow, who was a friend of Baum's. Uh, eventually, they kind of broke off their friendship after a few more years, but at this time, they were good friends. Uh, and Denslow illustrated the book, which added a lot to the, you know, the look and the feel of the novel. Uh, it was very successful, and they even tried a stage version on their own to get that going around 1902 of The Wizard of Oz. He wrote about 17, like I said, 17 books uh, in the Oz series in total throughout his career from around 1900-ish uh, to his death in 1919 at the age of 62. He was in California then at the time. They also continued the Oz book series by an author, another author named Ruth Plumley Thompson. She wrote about 19 other Oz books. These are all very fun to read. I read several of these when my kids were growing up to them as they were going to sleep at night, and I highly recommend seeking them out, especially the bomb books. Some of them are very classic. And The Wizard of Oz, of course, the book itself is fairly different from the movie, so it's interesting to see those differences when you read the book itself. Uh, I also wanted to mention that uh, there was a movie, a TV movie, in 1990 it came out, uh, this was called The Dreamer of Oz. It starred John Ritter, and it was sort of an autobiography tale of L. Frank Baum. And I thought they did a good job of it. They showed the inspiration for some of what he wrote and the movie and all of that. So seek that out uh, when you get a chance. And that's about it for L. Frank Baum, creator of the Oz book series and, of course, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. Okay, now we're going to get into uh, the main movie, The Wizard of Oz, from 1939. Uh, this movie is, uh, to me, uh, probably the, the, the greatest like uh, 
fantasy film ever made. I, I just love it to death. I, I it just I don't know. There's something about it. Seeing it all those years being broadcast on TV that just uh, really hits uh, the right spot for me, at least. And uh, we're going to go through uh, several clips from the film, and uh, I'll talk about those as we go. We're going to start uh, with probably uh, one of the uh, biggest uh, scenes from the movie. Uh, to me, uh, this is Judy Garland as Dorothy singing uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. It's not a place you can get to by a boat or a train. It's far, far away. Behind the moon. Beyond the rain. star in the world for the past four years and many think Shirley Temple is the natural choice to play the role of Dorothy. Leroy is under pressure to cast her. However, after hearing Shirley sing at an unofficial audition, Leroy and Free decide the demands of the part are beyond the talents of even this amazing ten-year-old. Still, on the off chance that things might change, Shirley seems prepared. I had a very good time in Bermuda with the horse and buggy, but I'm glad to be home. Because after all, there's no place like home. From the age of two and a half, when young Judy Garland began her vaudeville career as part of the Gum Sisters Kitty Act, she had been billed as the little girl with the great big voice. In my 
by the time she is 15 years old, her name has been changed from Frances Gum to Judy Garland. And she has been under contract to MGM for almost three years. She can sing and dance, she can play drama or comedy. Anyone in Hollywood who has seen her perform at benefits or private parties knows Judy Garland is destined for stardom. Leroy and Freed convinced Maya that Oz could be her breakthrough. Judy must lose some weight, but the part of Dorothy is hers. anymore yeah that's got the you know the classic uh, line in there uh toto i don't think we're in kansas anymore I, I think i use that line you know weekly at least so uh the next clip here this is uh where we're introduced to the wicked witch of the west played by margaret hamilton uh it's a good scene and uh talks a little bit about the ruby slippers and all that so watch this Them. Their magic must be very powerful, or she wouldn't want them so badly. You stay out of this, Glinda, or I'll fix you as well. <laughs> oh, rubbish. You have no power here. Be gone before somebody drops the house on you too. Very well. I'll bide my time. And as for you, my fine lady, it's true, I can't attend you here and now as I'd like. But just try to stay out of my way. Just try. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog too. for the Wicked Witch causes a major controversy and has everyone at MGM going in circles. 
Frank Baum's concept in the original book, as illustrated by W. W. Denslow, isn't much help. But Mervyn Leroy has an idea. Since Disney's glamorous Wicked Queen in Snow White is so successful, why not make the Wicked Witch slinky and seductive? Freed and other executives protest. Leroy's mind is made up. On the MGM lot is Gail Sundergaard, who the year before had won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress in Anthony Adverse, a film directed by Mervyn Leroy. Leroy persuades Sundergaard to test for the role. Decked out in stylish black sequins with a form-fitting wardrobe to match, she is a knockout. Freed and the others are exasperated. Bad witches are ugly, they remind Leroy, like Disney's old crone in Snow White. So Leroy orders the makeup department to give Sundergaard the ugly treatment. But her striking features defy the grease paint, and the distinguished actress decides she doesn't want the role. In those days, I was not about to make myself ugly, she says. I have no regrets, absolutely no regrets. Then you take it and bring it up to your kisser and inhale. A former kindergarten teacher, Margaret Hamilton, is 36 years old and newly divorced. She has been supporting herself and her three-year-old son as a hard-working character actress. Chicken thieves, eh? Why, we'll gladly pay you for any damage that we've done. All right, three dollars. I'd done about six pictures for MGM by that time. And uh, one day my agent called and said, uh, Maggie, he said, they're really kind of interested in you. And I said, what for? He said, uh, they're sort of interested in you uh, for a part in The Wizard of Oz. And I said, oh, gosh, think of that. I said, I loved that story from the time I was four years old. What is it? And he said, well, the witch. And I said, <laughs> the witch? <laughs> and he said, then he said the final thing. He said, yes, what else? <laughs> and uh, now it's about time for Dorothy to follow the Yellow Brick Road out of uh, the Munchkin land and off to see the wizards. So uh, here we go with the next clip. Follow the Yellow Brick Road. 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 Follow, 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 follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick, follow the yellow brick, follow the yellow brick road. You're up to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. You find he is a wizard of Oz. He had been a bank clerk, a vacuum cleaner salesman, and an accountant. Not the usual background for an acclaimed Broadway star. Now under contract to MGM, Ray Bolger is thrilled to learn he will be in Oz until he finds out that he is to play the Tin Man. I was angry. I was really upset. I loved the thought of being the scarecrow. And I could not imagine anybody else playing the part. 
and I could do all the kinds of steps that I wanted to do, and there was something else. I don't know, I had a feeling if I could play this part, it would make a star out of me. And then I got my wife and I went up to Mr. Mayor's office, and we fought and fought and fought, and I finally won out. This extraordinary dance routine, directed by the inventive Busby Berkeley, makes brilliant use of Ray Bolger's unique style. Unfortunately, at the last moment, fearing the picture is running too long, the studio decides to cut the number. Oh, I'm a failure because I haven't got a brain. Well, what would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. I'd unravel every riddle for any individual in trouble or in pain. With the thoughts you'd be thinking you could be another Lincoln if you only had a brain. Oh, I will tell you why the ocean's near the shore. I could think of things I never thought before. And then I'd sit and think some more. I would not be just a nothing. My head all full of stuffing, my heart all full of pain. I would dance and be merry, life would be a ding a dairy if I only had a brain. and dances with another veteran of the theater, 30-year-old Buddy Epson. He has been under contract to MGM for four years and doesn't mind at all when he is switched from the scarecrow to the tin man. But his dream assignment turns into a nightmare. They put aluminum dust all over my makeup, recalls Epson, and this aluminum dust got into the air and pretty soon my lungs were coated with it. One night I took a breath and nothing happened. They got an ambulance for me and got me down to the hospital. While Epson begins months of recuperation from his near-fatal illness, MGM announces he will be replaced with no further explanation. Epson considers this as the worst personal and professional disaster he ever endured. Epson's replacement is Broadway and movie star Jack Haley. On loan from 20th Century Fox, he knows nothing of Epson's calamity, but Haley's makeup has been quietly changed from aluminum powder to aluminum paste. When Haley reports to MGM, he encounters a concerned director, Victor Fleming. The first day shooting, we had a little talk. He said, Jack, have you thought about how you're going to approach this? I said, sure. He said, how? I said, well, I have a son, four or five years old. And when I go home at night, he insists that I come up and tell him a story. My thinking was to have that same approach in the character. He said, well, give me an example. Well, a long time ago, 
I was standing here and it started to rain. That's it, that's it. And it was the right way to do it. But he knew it right away when he heard it. He knew that was, that was what he wanted. When a man's an empty kettle, he should be on his metal, and yet I'm torn apart. Just because I'm presuming that I could be kind of human if I only had a heart. I'd be tender, I'd be gentle, and awful sentimental regarding love and art. I'd be friends with the sparrows and the boy who shoots the arrows if I only had a heart. Picture me a balcony above a voice sings low. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? I hear a beat. How sweet just to register emotion. Jealousy, devotion, and really feel the part. I could stay young and chipper, and I'd lock it with a zipper if I only had a heart. yet. Oh, dear. That was wonderful. This is the last straw. <laughs> Everyone's favorite choice to play the cowardly lion is Bert Law, Broadway's leading clown known for his explosive comedy style. Three thousand bucks? <laughs> we're rich, we're rich, we're rich. <laughs> Happy times, boy! Happy times, boy! <laughs> you brought us luck! You brought us luck! <laughs> take him away! Take him away! He was a, a very raucous, loud, energetic, a low comic. And uh, really, the only way he could make it in Hollywood, given that energy, was as an animal. 
because as a real person, blown up eight times larger than life, that energy was kind of oppressive to uh, the paying customer. But as an animal, it was perfectly acceptable. Shame on you! Look, what did you do that for? I didn't buy them. No, but you tried. I just got to tell you how I feel. Well, come on. Yeah, it's sad, believe me, Missy, when you're born to be a sissy without the feminine vibe. But I could show my prowess be a lion, not a mouse, if I only had the nerve. I'm afraid there's no denying I'm just a dandelion, a fate I don't deserve. I'd be brave as a blizzard. I'd be gentle as a lizard. I'd be clever as a gizzard. If the wizard is a wizard who will serve, then I'm sure to get a brain, a heart, a home, the knife. Oh, we're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. And here he is, the wizard, the wizard, if ever a wizard there was. If ever, oh, ever a wizard there was, the wizard of Oz was one. Because, 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 because of the wonderful things he does. We're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. All right, now we uh, get introduced to the wizard and all those cool special effects in the wizard scene where they first meet up with uh, the wonderful Wizard of Oz, or maybe not so wonderful, actually, uh, played by uh, Frank Morgan. So here we go. I am Oz, the great and powerful. Who are you? Who are you? If you please, I am Dorothy, the small and meek. We've come to ask you. Silence! Oh! Oh! Jiminy Cricket! The great and powerful Oz knows why you have come. Step forward, Tin Man! to me for a heart, do you? You clinking, clanking, clattering collection of collisionous junk! Oh. Uh, yes, yes, sir. Uh, y y yes, Your Honor. You see, uh, a while back, we were walking down the yellow brick road, and... Quiet! Oh. And you, Scarecrow! Have the effrontery to ask for a brain, you billowing bale of bovine fodder! Yes, Your Honor. I mean, Your Excellency. Uh, I mean, uh, Your Wizardry. Enough! Uh, and you, lion! <laughs> well... of granting your requests. What's that? What do you say? Huh? What do you say? But first, you must prove yourselves worthy 
by performing a very small task. Bring me the broomstick of the Witch of the West. But, 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 but if we do that, we'll have to kill her to get it. Bring me her broomstick, and I'll grant your requests. Now go. <laughs> and uh, next up, we have uh, the probably momentous scene where uh, Dorothy and her friends uh, defeat the Wicked Witch uh, when she's trying to save the Scarecrow from uh, burning her. <laughs> And uh, a little bit of fire there. Wanna have a little fire, Scarecrow? So watch this. Ring around the rosy, a pocket full of spears. That should be pretty boxy, didn't you? Well, the last to go. We'll see the first three go before her. <laughs> and your mangy little dog, too. How about little fire? And last here, we'll have the scene where uh, Dorothy uh, leaves Oz and goes back to Kansas. Uh, probably one of the most, you know, kind of heart-touching and warm scenes in the movie where she has to say goodbye to her friends. You know, click her heels three times and say that classic line, another classic line, there's no place like home. I never really lost it to begin with. Is that right? That's all it is. But that's so easy. I should have thought of it for you. I should have felt it in my heart. No, she had to find it out for herself. Now those magic slippers will take you home in two seconds. Oh, Toto too? Toto too. Oh, now? Whenever you wish. Oh, dear. That's too wonderful to be true. Oh, it's, it's going to be so hard to say goodbye. I love you all too. Goodbye, Tin Man. Oh, don't cry. You'll rust so dreadfully. Here's your oil can. Goodbye. Now I know I've got the heart, because it's breaking. Goodbye, Lion. You know, I know it isn't right, but... I'm gonna miss the way you used to holler for help before you found your courage. I would never have found it if it hadn't been for you. I think I'll miss you most of all. Are you ready now? Yes. Say goodbye, Toto. Yes, I'm ready now. Then close your eyes and tap your heels together three times. And think to yourself, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's, there's no, no place like home. 
enjoyed seeing the clips from the movie. Now, I thought I would go through and uh, I didn't want to talk about this too much during the clips uh, and in between and all that, uh, but uh, now I'm going to go through a little bit of uh, kind of background and trivia about the whole production and the movie and everything through a little kind of video and, and, and different uh, images I'll put up here. So watch this kind of the story of the making of and the production of The Wizard of Oz. This year marks the 70th anniversary of the film The Wizard of Oz. MGM paid $75,000 for the rights to the book to film into a movie, and filming began in October of 1938. We've already gone through some of the casting, and Ray Bolger originally being the Tin Man and then wanting to be the Scarecrow, and Jack Haley replacing Buddy Ebsen as the Tin Man. It took uh, about five directors uh, to make this movie. A guy named Richard Thorpe started uh, out uh, filming it for a few weeks. Had Dorothy and blonde hair and a lot more makeup and a lot of things a little bit different. And then uh, they weren't happy with that, so a guy named Victor Fleming took over and was the primary director for the film and uh, made it the way we see it today. It also took about 16 different writers, even though this was based off of a book, uh, they did change some things and had to uh, adapt it to the screen. There were also some cut scenes, some of those you've seen a little bit of, the longer dance sequence with the Scarecrow. And there was a, another famous one, there's something called the Jitterbug scene in the dark forest uh, with the main characters. And that scene had to be cut for time because this movie originally ran about 2 hours 120 minutes and they eventually cut it down to 101 minutes for its release. They also actually almost cut the famous Over the Rainbow song scene uh, with Dorothy in the farmyard there. They were trying to cut back on time, but also they kind of felt uh, it made her look kind of uh, cheap a little bit singing in a, in a farmyard, although I think that's one of the best scenes in the whole movie. Uh, a little bit about the costs and things. Uh, the Munchkins actually were only paid about $50 a week, which at the time was pretty good money, but Toto was made uh, $125 a week. Uh, Professor Marvel, who you see early in the movie, uh, is uh, played by uh, Morgan. Uh, his coat in this is kind of interesting. They found that at a second-hand store, and it actually originally belonged to Frank Baum, L. Frank Baum, who wrote The Wizard of Oz, because they found his initials on the inside of it and eventually gave the coat back to his family after they did the movie. The tornado in Kansas was just a 35-foot-long 35, 35 muslin stocking that they filmed and then made look like a tornado, which is pretty amazing, the effect of that back in the 1930s. The ruby slippers, which I'll talk about in a, a little bit more in depth in a few minutes, uh, there's about seven pairs of those still around, each worth about a, a million and a half approximately, and these can also be seen, a pair of them, in the Smithsonian. To color the horses in the Emerald City, they actually used jello that they uh, applied to the horses' coats, and they had to film it very quickly before the horses licked all the jello uh, food coloring off of their coat. 
the movie only cost, well, a lot in 1938-39. It cost about $2,777,000 to film and all the associated costs with it. But it opened kind of uh, badly, not to very good box office. It only made about $3 million in its original opening back in August uh, 25th, 1939. It's considered to be the most watched movie in history due to all of its TV airings, first showing on TV in 1956. It was also the first VHS tape uh, produced from MGM back in 1980. Also, there is this long-standing sort of rumor, controversy, that the album uh, by Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, if you play that album while watching the movie, there are a lot of things, uh, lyrics in the songs that sort of relate to what's going on in the movie. You kind of start the the music uh, or the CD uh, after the third roar of the lion at the beginning of the film, and you can follow along with that. There's a lot of that kind of information on the web if you want to learn more. They also did a couple of things follow up, uh, although they've never really tried to tackle a real Wizard of Oz movie again. There was a musical called The Wiz. There was, in 1985, they did a film uh, called Return to Oz, which I thought was pretty good, actually. And just about a, a year, a little more than a year and a half ago, they did a miniseries on the Sci-Fi Channel, kind of a, a little different take on the whole Oz story called Tin Man, which I enjoyed quite a bit. So there you go with some background and trivia about The Wizard of Oz. All right, well, now that we've gone through the uh, kind of making of the production, I want to talk a little bit about a collectible uh, that I got several years back. A uh, guy, guy named uh, Jack Townsend made these uh, replica ruby slippers. He's done it for a number of years. You can see... Uh, I've got a pair right here, and no, I don't ever wear these. Uh, considering Judy Garland, and they're made to her size, she was like a size 5, and I wear like a size 13 shoe. So uh, I'll try to lift this up in the light a little bit more. Uh, but they're, uh, they're pretty close to the way they looked in the movie. Uh, supposedly, like I said on the background information, there are about seven pairs of these still floating around, the real ones at least, I mean. Uh, and there's a, a pair in this is Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., although that pair, it's not a matching set, which is kind of unusual. The left and the right don't really match uh, in, in the way they look exactly, so it's like one shoe from one set, another shoe from another. But there's supposedly, again, about a, seven pairs out there, each worth like a million and a half or a couple million dollars each. Uh, but this that I have, it's not anywhere near an original pair. But again, these are just uh, a replica that I have that I thought was pretty neat because I'm such a fan of the movie. So, uh, so there you go. There's the ruby slippers uh, like they were in The Wizard of Oz. All right, folks. Well, we've come to the end of my special look at uh, my favorite movie and the bomb books, uh, The Wizard of Oz. I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, I thought it would be a little fun to do and something a little different off the sci-fi trek front something uh, a little bit more fantasy oriented and uh, something that's uh, been you know some that I've enjoyed a long long time and uh, wanted to share that with you so hopefully you learned a few things about the movie and the books and all of that so uh, which are really great to read and I urge you uh, to seek them out and pull out the movie and watch it uh, next week we're going to be looking at on treks in sci-fi we're going to be looking at the deep space nine tale uh, past Tense, that's a two-part episode. I'll be looking at that next week on the podcast. And a lot more to come. So uh, check out the new sites over at Job for a Hero and geekplay.tv. 
jobforahero.com, geekplay.tv, excuse me. And uh, that's about it. Uh, I'm going to get out of here, edit this up, and get it all out to you and everyone. So take care. Uh, drop me an email if you enjoyed this uh, or whatever you'd like to uh, talk about, treksf at gmail.com. I'll see you again next time. Bye-bye.